The Deep Dive with Nick Baby. Welcome to the Deep Dive with Nick Babel. I'm your host, Nick Babel. Today I'm doing another private investigator episode. Uh, People seem to enjoy the first one, uh, so here we go. The topics for this episode will be red flags and covert video and pretexting. So I'm going to go over these these terms, this these investigator terms. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it's interesting to get a little background um, on this stuff. And I'll try to make it not sound, you know, textbooky or, you know, anything like that. So a uh, common question I get is, what are these people doing that gets, that gets me to be uh, spying on them is what, what people say, or doing surveillance on them. Um, and there's a, actually quite a few levels of an answer to that. Um, it's not just one thing. And sometimes I don't even know exactly. They give us an idea. Uh, the insurance company is the one that starts the process um, when it's a workers' compensation case. Um, Sometimes it's a motor vehicle traffic accident case. Um, It's still an insurance company that, you know, gets that going. So, um, so the word red flag means, and I know most people probably know what it means, but it's like, uh, you know, like something that stands out that, this could be suspicious, you know? So the basic mild red flags that, that I've seen time and time again, get people put on surveillance are, are often just not keeping in contact with the insurance company. Um, Sometimes it comes down that they lose track of the person. Um, which in the industry, the person is known as the claimant. That's kind of a buzzword. So I will refer to the person being watched as the claimant. Um, So either the claimant changes their phone number, it gets disconnected, they move, or they start getting their checks sent to their parents' house. Um, With direct deposit now, they don't even have to get a physical check so the insurance company you know can lose track of them that way um they don't answer correspondence uh mail um or they don't answer phone calls from the insurance company and this becomes a red flag now this these are i consider this a pretty benign red flag but it's common that this is enough for sometimes for an insurance company. And sometimes these cases are often people that have been on workers' camp for 20 years. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but that's just one thing that I've noticed. Um, So another red flag comes from people reporting other people, snitches, if you will. Now, 
the term snitch, you know, I mean, I guess I get both sides of it. Um, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's good to tell on people if they're, you know, doing wrong things and it affects you or I don't know. You know, everybody's got their own code and their own system with that. But this is another red flag, and this is one that happens all the time. So they will turn people into the insurance company saying the person is out working or they're doing construction on their house, they're out boating, jet skiing in the summer, you know, skiing, winter stuff in the winter, all that good stuff. So this is a pretty common red flag. You know, you piss off a neighbor, you piss off a relative who knows you're on workers' comp. You live in a small town and everyone knows you're, you know, you're Mr. Fix-It around the town, but you're collecting workers' comp checks um, while they got to work 50 hours a week and, and pay their insurance premiums. So some people take offense to that. And, you know, like I said, Rightfully so sometimes, and, you know, everybody's got to make their own judgment on that. And, you know, this is a, this is a major red flag, you know, sometimes, sometimes people do this and it's, it's a lie or, or it can't be proven. Um, But more often than not, you know, there's a reason they're, they're turning somebody in. <clears throat> so another red flag is going to an IME doctor's appointment. Um, and you wear unnecessary braces. You walk with an exaggerated lamp. You use a walker or something like that. Um, then the doctor who was checking you out uh, on the behalf of the insurance company um can't find anything wrong that matches what you're saying. This is very common. An offshoot of this is when your doctor doesn't match what the insurance company's doctor is saying. Um, You know, I don't want to say there's unscrupulous doctors out there that, you know, but there is. And you know, they can, you know, with that power that they wield, they can uh, make an injury however bad they want to. So um, that's one of the reasons the insurance companies have their own doctors. Now, some could argue that's a biased thing too, saying that those doctors might say somebody's not hurt because, you know, the insurance company would want that and I'm sure that might be the case sometimes too so um so some of the best video surveillance an investigator can get is a claimant using you know a walker or a brace or some medical device um you know or the exaggerated limp or walk or whatever when they go into a medical appointment and then you get them later in the day, walking fine, going shopping, lifting things, no braces, no walkers, etc. Or you even get them 
you know, a bunch of other days not doing anything. But every time they go to these appointments, they're all dressed up, you know, as a very injured person. Um, that's a lot of times what the, the court's looking for is the um, back and forth, you know. So um, another red flag is social media posts. These are big red flags. So Facebook is dying a slow death, as anyone that's paying attention knows. But especially a few years ago, people would post their day-to-day -day life online and not set anything to private. Um, now, Instagram is a better example of this. Um, you know, TikTok and all those social media ones. Uh, then the insurance company sees someone that's supposed to be out on 100% disability posting pictures of them, you know, playing golf or skiing or dirt biking or whatever, you know. Um, this is also a spinoff of, of people reporting other people. Because a lot of times they see someone tagged on their social media and they turn on and that's another way they get turned in from people is people follow them on social media and go, hey, this guy's, we know this guy's on workers' camp and we see him all the time posting stuff. Now, you know, you would think, and this is a thought that I, I have a lot of times, but you would think all that, all those pictures and stuff would be enough for, uh, you know, workers' camp to cut the people off, but it's it's just not. Um, you know, at least in workers' camp stuff, you really need a preponderance of evidence to to uh, you know get somebody you know off workers' camp or. It really varies, you know. It's kind of like the things you hear, like depending on the judge you get, depending on where you are, depending on whatever. So, and each insurance company is different. Um, so it's it's a complicated thing. But there's there's definitely been times where I've had cases and I've looked at somebody's social media pages and I'm like, isn't this enough proof? But yeah, so. Um, there are more red flags and a lot of them are shoot offs of the ones that I just talked about. Um, but I don't want to get too inside baseball with this, you know, to, like I said, I don't want to sound like a, I want this to be an interesting podcast episode. I don't want to sound like I'm giving you a boring lecture or something. Um, so I'm just going to try to, you know, keep it pretty simple and, and hopefully informative, you know. Uh, so the next subject is covert video. Um, another preconception uh, is that an, an investigator must be peeping in windows or shooting through open windows, you know, getting cheating spouses caught in the act. Um, that's all Hollywood movie bullshit. Uh, maybe that stuff was legal back in the 1930s or whatever. <clears throat> but a modern-day PI has to legally 
respect a person's privacy on their own property. Now we get in trouble if we shoot video on people walking into their house and catch a brief second of them in their doorway. Like they're really strict about this. Um, you know, I don't do matrimonial stuff, but I know a lot of people that do. And you'd be laughed out of court if you tried to, especially in New York, and I'm pretty sure most states, if you tried to, you know, do those, you know, they have those uh, on TV or on movies where somebody's taking pictures of somebody in a open hotel window on the third floor where the, the woman's in negligee and the, the guy's on the bed and he's all happy that, you know, that's just not happening. It's, you know, poisonous fruit and you can't do it. So, um, you know, real covert video is following a person out somewhere. You know, lots of time times it's mundane bullshit, like pumping gas or driving from their house to to the school to pick up their kids, um, or they go from their residence to another residence, uh, you know, like a family member or a friend's house. Um, other times you get lucky and then they go into a grocery store or some other business. Uh, this is when covert video really happens. It can be exciting. It can be challenging. It can be annoying. You know, all of the above. Usually a mix. Uh, there, there are many different ways PI sh shoot covert video. There's pen cameras, key fob cameras, small device cameras like that. Um, you know, hidden cameras that you put on your body. I think this video can be hard to shoot because you can't necessarily control what you're shooting if you're moving. Um, and it's not my preferred method. You know, I, I do not know a lot of the older generation guys, you know, that's their way to go. You know, good for them. You know, I'm sure they're, <clears throat> they're masters at it and they got it down. Um, but it's just not my, it's not my particular style. The other way is cell phone cameras, which these days are often better than any $500 camera you can buy on the market. This is my specialty. People are on their phones so often that it is not often noticed when you're recording someone if you know what you're doing. Uh, I've walked next to someone while talking to them and shot video of them with my cell phone camera. I've sat in doctor's offices, I've walked through businesses, grocery stores, etc. And I can count on one hand how many times I've been spotted shooting video on my cell phone. And it's probably not even five, you know, two or three, maybe. Um, if you do it right, and uh, need to, and need to, you can pretend to be talking on the phone. Uh, either on speaker or on your ear, and you can shoot video like that. There's lots of different ways to do it. People play games on their phone, people text, you can, you know, if you know what you're doing, you can just make it look normal and nobody even notices. Um, sometimes you will find yourself in a situation where it is 
where it's normal for people to shoot video, um, like a show at a bar or an event of some kind, like a football game or a concert. I've literally just used my video camera and gotten video of a person attending one of these events. Um, and those are the best when you can literally just shoot video of somebody and pretend you're shooting video of, you know, whatever's going on. Uh, nobody pays you any mind when you're doing that. Um, so, uh, another form of covert video is placing a stationary camera or a hidden camera in a public place where you know the claimant's going to be. I have never done this because with my particular particular type of investigations, it's not feasible or affordable when working on a company license. Uh, if you are doing an investigation on, with your own business um, and you have the capital and money is you know not an issue, um, you can take the chance of losing or damaging a piece of equipment to get uh, the video. But when you're making, you know, you're, when you're not getting paid enough for that to be worth it, you just, you don't do it. So, um, so the final thing I wanna talk about is pretexting. Now, what does that mean exactly? No, it has nothing to do with texting a person on your phone. A pretext is a fib, a white lie, if you will, you know, or even just a downright lie in some instances. Um, just like the video privacy laws, though, there, there are rules and laws an investigator has to follow when pretexting on a case. You cannot claim to be law enforcement. You cannot claim to be from a particular company, like a real company. You also can't claim to be someone who works for a utility or a government agency. Now, there are some caveats to the above rules, and a good investigator can be creative without breaking them. You can make up a company, a fake one. I do this all the time. I even made fake business cards with fake names and fake jobs. Um, another good one to use in the digital age that I've heard about but haven't tried yet is saying that you work for a survey company. There are even apps you can get on your phone and make fake surveys that look legit. I like the idea and the, you know, of this in certain situations. Um, and I might try it in the future, but I just heard about it from another investigator and I thought it was an interesting, you know, an interesting way to do it. The most common old school pretext is the lost dog, lost cat pretext. You know, this seems, I don't know. I just always felt like this seems like the, it seems a little too, I don't know, weird to me or suspicious to me. Like, you know, like you're driving a van 
asking kids, you know, if they want candy kind of thing. Like, I don't know. You're not, obviously, you're not talking to kids anyways, but you never know who's going to answer the door when you're knocking. Um, I've used it once or twice, but honestly, it's not my favorite. My two real favorite ones are two real opposites, to be honest with you. Um, and they work depending on the case and the time of year that, you, that you're trying. <clears throat> a good pretext phone call to use from like October to early January is a delivery guy lost trying to deliver a package. Uh, one second, drink of water. Okay. So <clears throat> now you can do this. Um, sorry, I lost my, my spot here. I print, I pretend to have, I have a driver that's looking for them. Um, I can give them an old address, you know, when I'm talking to them and say that I have, you know, I have this address on them and, um, and then hopefully they comment with, oh, that's, I don't live there anymore. I live here. Or, you know, they, they confirm their current address. Or you can transpose a number, like the person's address is 327 Elm Street. And I can say the address on record is 372 Elm Street. But the driver cannot seem to find the house. And then they say, oh, I'm at 327 Elm Street, you know, and then you know for sure that that's the right address. Uh, the other type of pretext <clears throat> that I really like is um, it can be a gamble, but it's, it's kind of like, it's almost not a pretext. It's, it's being basically being honest or close to honest. Now, you can't do this if the person you are looking for um, is the person you're talking to or you think it might be. Um, but if it's a neighbor or something, you can say that you're a workers' comp investigator or just an, you know, a private investigator um, and you're keeping an eye on someone in the neighborhood. You never tell them who unless there's, you know, you don't, you don't tell them who, but if they say, oh, I know this guy, he's on that, and you can go, oh, I can't say who it is, but, you know, what, what does he do, you know, there's ways to talk to a person without giving up the confidentiality of who you're looking for, um, and this, you know, sometimes I find that being close to honest is the best you know, like they say, honesty is the best policy. Um, so, you know, sometimes, especially in a, you know, a rural area or, uh, you know, a residential neighborhood, you know, they kind of know, some of the times the neighbors know the other neighbors and they'll be like, Oh, you're looking at such and such. He's a freeloader. He's a lazy bastard, etc. Um, all you gotta say is, I can't confirm that, but what's his story? And what do you know about him, him, her? 
you know, sometimes you can get really good information that way. Um, an offshoot of, <clears throat> of this is saying, I'm looking for the person to claim it. Um, I'm doing an alive and well check. Uh, do you still know, do you know if they still live here? This is, a, this is only a good pretext for someone, some insurance companies. Um, some of them do not want anything like this being said. Um, but, you know, like the New York State Insurance Fund, um, licensed, they really like an aggressive investigator. So I would possibly use pretexts like this if it made sense to the case. Um, an alignment law check is a type of case we do to make sure the person who is getting the compensation checks is actually alive and is the one cashing the checks. Because, um, you know, sometimes people die and the family doesn't report it and they keep cashing the checks until they get caught, um, which sometimes takes a while to happen, like, like years. But it seems like most of the time they eventually get caught. So this is a big lesson I've learned over the years with pretexting. Um, while it may be fun to come up with an elaborate pretext or think that you're being really slick, um, the truth or the near truth is so much easier. Um, if you tell the truth or something close to the truth with confidence or an air of authority, people defer to it. Um, or they respect, or they respect it, you know, and they will sometimes be more honest with you with the information, you know, that you're looking for. You know, as with everything in this line of work, no case is the same, and you have to be smart, and you have to know how to read the room um, with each case. Sometimes you pick the wrong pretext, and then you got to either backtrack you know, try something else or move on. Um, you can burn a whole case on a bad pretext uh, or a pretext that goes bad. Thankfully for me, at least I don't think I've totally burned a case, you know, on a pretext. Um, I've definitely had to recover from one that didn't go as I expected, um, but that goes with the job. Uh, so, that's all I have for today. Uh, hope, you know, some people found this interesting. Uh, definitely gonna do a few more of these in the future. Uh, like I said, the first one did pretty well. So um, thanks for listening. And remember, please like, subscribe, rate, and review. Um, it just makes the podcast more findable for others, you know, other listeners. It moves us up on, you know, when people search stuff, Google stuff, whatever. It takes you a minute of your time and it just really helps the podcast. So thanks again and I will see you later.